Hello, and welcome to the Sunday Sermon Cast from Bethel Evangelical Free Church on Washington Island, Wisconsin. I'm Rick Smith, and I've been here at Bethel since 2016, enjoying this great church on this spectacular place off the northern tip of Door County, Wisconsin. This message comes from our Sunday morning service here on the island, and it's geared towards discovering what the Bible has to say to us in our everyday lives. So, God's blessing on you, and thanks for joining with us wherever you are today. Heard from uh, Dottie and, and John about the procedures that were going on, and so Wednesday was looking forward to getting a text message and hearing about it, and so I got such a text message from Dottie, and, and uh, when I received that, there was anticipation. Like, what is it going to say? Did everything work out when they shocked his heart? How did it work out? And to hear that it went well was exciting, and the next steps were going to happen, and, and, and that was great. Uh, that's what communication does for us. We look for something, some message or sign that's coming, and, and uh, it's pretty exciting. Uh, we do that with text messages and emails these days. In the past, we, we did that with letters. And, and if I were to tell you I had a, a letter from one of our, from our former pastors here, you might be excited about what it had to say. Maybe, maybe I found this in my desk drawer after, before I, I got rid of it uh, from, from Pastor Clarence Lundberg. And it was messages for the church to come or, or maybe from Pastor Jim Warren. Uh, back in the 80s, or more recently, Pastor Don Price, or Pastor Phil Green, or even most recently, Pastor Ryan. You'd be, what, what, what does he have to say? What does he want to tell us? Well, I have a letter not from any of them, but I have here a letter from, from a guy named Peter. The Peter. Last week, I, we did a message on the Peter, and, and just the, uh, the things that, that God did for good, for bad, for Christ, and, and how he was, had some of the best experiences and some of seemingly the worst experiences, but all of this in connection with Christ. And as the Spirit comes to him and guides and directs him in his life, he becomes a leader within the church. And we see much of his story in the book of Acts, but we also have Letters that are from him to churches, and, and uh, they are part of our scriptures. And, and this letter is his first one that we have. And I'd like to read a portion of this. We'll be looking at this letter over the next several weeks and, and what he has to say to the church and what that might say to us even in this day. But he starts it off, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, which is not the, the most expansive opening. Uh, when Paul writes his letters, his are a lot longer. He's uh, a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ through the, the working of the Spirit. I mean, he's a little bit more expansive, but well, Paul came to faith a little differently, and people were wondering, well, what's your authority? Well, Peter doesn't need that. <laughs> we know who Peter is. He was with Jesus all along the way, and, and we see Jesus calling to him and is entrusting him, is restoring him and at the end of John. And, but when Peter identifies himself, all he says is an apostle of Jesus Christ. His orientation is to Jesus. Apostle is a name that we take on some ways to be a title these days, but Really, basically, it's one who has been called to do something, has been given a task or responsibility, and, and so he identifies himself, 
an apostle of Jesus Christ. His connection is to Jesus. And it says, to the exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. All those places are you we would call modern-day Turkey today, south of the Black Sea. And so to the exiles of the dispersion in those areas who have been chosen and destined by God the Father and sanctified by the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and to be sprinkled with his blood, may grace and peace be yours in abundance. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, even if, for now, even if now for a little while you have had to suffer various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, that though perishable is tested by fire, you may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy, for you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that was to be yours made careful search and inquiry, inquiring about the person or time that the Spirit of Christ within them indicated when it testified in advance to the sufferings destined for Christ and the subsequent glory. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in regard to the things that have now been announced to you through those who brought you good news by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. And that's the start of this letter from Peter. Peter wrote this so that we, as we comes down the line to us through these churches, might know what it means to live in this world for God. As he describes who he's writing to, again, as I mentioned, he, he, he simply notifies himself or describes himself as an apostle of Jesus, but he begins to talk about to those who he's writing to as exiles in the dispersion. What does that mean? What does it mean to be an exile? Uh, exiles are those who are not living in their homeland, right? They, they have been forced in some way, shape, or form, maybe because of fear of their life or because some official act has told them you can no longer leave here, leave. But they're not in the place where they started. Uh, he identifies it as, in the NRSV here, the New Revised Standard, uh, as the dispersion, other places, the diaspora, uh, words that would connect them to how, after the time of the Romans, people were dispersed and moved around into places not their own. And, and he's writing to people who are foreigners in the place they're at. Uh, we might call them other things if it were today. Maybe we would call them refugees or, or 
resident aliens or maybe even illegal aliens, but, but in places otherwise than they're, they're comfortable with. But it's the elect, the chosen one that God has called to himself, chosen and by the foreknowledge of God the Father. There's a little Trinitarian formula here right at the outset of the, the letter. He's giving us a picture. He's not saying much about the Trinity, but just giving us some connection to it by the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit into the obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling by His blood. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit right there. He's describing followers of Jesus. That God has called us, that the Spirit is doing a work sanctifying us and calling us, having been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus, to be obedient to Jesus. Well, what does all that mean? What's well, a description of who we are, who, what our calling is? That we're called to be God followers. And God has chosen us and offered us this life and the message of Jesus. And it's this, the Spirit who works in us, sanctifying us, which is a weird word, right? We don't use that often, but means to be made holy, uh, which means really to be set apart. Uh, it, we use the word holy matrimony in, in a wedding ceremony and, and describe the relationship between a man and woman as being bound in holy matrimony. And, and what does that mean? Well, they're set apart for one another. These two have come together, and so they're one. There's no more dating or anything like that. They, the two are now one, and so they are set apart. And, and as God's people, we are set apart. We're different because of who we are and what has happened to us. But we also describe sanctifying as, as the, the patterns of our lives and how we live it and, and, and walking faithfully with God. That we do things and follow things that, well, that others won't. It's important to us what God thinks about how life is supposed to be lived and, and, and to live according to that in our own lifestyles and our own choices and decisions. And part of that then is to be obedient to to Jesus and his commands and understand this all happens because of well, the blood of Jesus. Well, what was Jesus' command? Well, Jesus' most striding command that he repeats again and again, uh, we see it in John chapter 13 when he's with his disciples at the Last Supper, says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And in this way, all people will know that you are my disciples because you love one another. That's his most strident command. But along with that is knowing and, and acting in, in ways that are good and right. Jesus has all kinds of teachings that indicate to us what, what being followers of God looks like, what the kingdom of God is all about, and to be faithful to that. Well, that's who he's writing to. People who are in places that are not their own, that are, have been moved or are, are, are in some kind of minority position in their community. And, 
Because as he writes to these people, and we'll see as the letter goes on, uh, they are facing more than a little bit of strife in their life. That, that there is persecution that is happening to them because of their faith in Jesus. Because of, of who they are following, because of the confessions they've made, and, and, and by nature the fact that they are trying to be holy and set apart, they are different and things are happening to them because of that. So this is who he's writing to. And, and as we understand that he identifies geographically who that is in, in, the, in the area of, of modern-day Turkey, we can also understand ourselves. And as we walk through this world today, uh, there are many ways where we, more and more within even our own society, are becoming a minority grouping. That many would describe America and the West as post-Christian these days. That it is a, an environment that is not just ambivalent about Christianity, but antagonistic and working against it. And uh, we see that even most intensely within schools and particularly our university systems. That there is a uh, there is clear antagonism towards those who would speak of faith, and particularly faith in, in Jesus Christ. And the question comes, how do we live in this kind of world? Well, Peter is speaking to that kind of world. And I think for us, as, as we work through the, the elements of his letter to these churches, uh, there's instructive things for us to consider as we live out our lives as well. And so as he presses on from this calling of ours, he moves on to this idea of our living hope. Um, starting in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. He has given us a new birth into a living hope. But born again, well, we get that description or that wording from John's Gospel in chapter 3. And, and, and it's this concept, this idea that there's something new about us. We have this physical life, but in coming to faith in Jesus, now we have new life. We are born again. And this new birth is a living hope. Well, living hope is a strange expression too. What is a living hope? Uh, hope, uh, we talked a little bit about that with the, the kids there. It was something that we're hoping for. But there's promises that are made that come to us. And one of the things that, that, that is descriptive of the promise is that, that God's life is within us. His spirit is within us. And it speaks of this in other places, that, that his spirit is in us as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Because not only has he given us new birth into a, a living hope, but into an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled, it's not going to be taken away. We have a hope that is, is for sure. And that is the life that we have with God. As Peter speaks of this, the orientation is not merely right now in this body that we have here, but in the life that is to come. 
that very often we see within Scripture that, that the hope that we have is, is not just that everything is nice right now, but that there's hope that as we face a world that is increasingly difficult and hostile, God will set things to right. Eventually, things will be set to right and, and, and new things will happen. And that's what our hope is in this life that we've been promised for all time. And it is this hope and this inheritance that we anticipate that gives us strength in this world. Because from there he begins to describe, even now for a little while now, you are going through a testing of your faith, through trials of many kinds. And, and, and trials come to us in this life. Uh, sometimes people think, oh, come to Jesus and everything will be fine. Well, I think almost all of you know that not everything has been fine and hunky-dory all along the way. We have faced difficult and hard things. Sometimes because of our faith. And Peter says, these things, they're going to come. We get through them because of the hope that we have. He also says that these trials or struggles we go through are things that test us in our faith. And, and testing is good, right? So, I mean, those of you who are in school may not think so. It's a test. Who wants to take a test? When I was a student in high school and college, I was not the best of students. I studied to pass tests. I didn't necessarily study to learn material, but school was just a thing you go through. And so just study and get a good grade on the test. And that makes mom and dad happy. And that's really all it's about. And, and so I, I developed cramming. And, and I did that very well. I could pass the tests and... The only thing is, if you asked me two weeks later, what were those principles that you wrote about? What are you talking about? <laughs> because learning something is different than passing an exam necessarily. If you were to, to have a, an airline mechanic, you would hope that he was, his study did not really go to just pass a test but that he actually knew what he was doing, that he understood how the rivets and the skins and the wings and the engine all connected and how they stayed strong and how to find fatigue in the metal and all. He, you'd hope that he knew his stuff because you don't want to be in a plane with a guy who just passed the tests but is not really sure of all the things he's supposed to do. Part of living this life is we get tests and they help show what are we depending on. Uh, I've talked about this before. I, I went through two ordination councils, not because I wanted to, but because I didn't pass the first one. And, uh, and having gone through the first one, it, it put me in a place where I was, well, I was struggling. What do, what do I do? What do I want to do? Because I had gone into that anticipating passing and being successful and, and coming to my church that Sunday. This is on a Friday that it happened. And so they all knew a church. Pastor is going through ordination. And so let's hear about it on Sunday. Pastor, what happened? And, and it's like, no, it didn't happen. Which was hard for my pride to be able to say, I failed at this. 
on a number of levels. One, to admit that I failed in it, but two, you just, you just wonder, okay, what happened? And, and what's wrong? And is, is his theology bad? Is, is there something wrong with him? Should we be concerned about him as our pastor? I, I mean, at some level, everyone is thinking that. At least most people are. It's like, what really is going on here? And, and so I had to go through it again. And uh, it took a lot of licking of my wounds and, and uh, gearing up. And, uh, but I look at that time in my life it's pretty useful because I learned a lot of things uh, about who I am, about God's call, about interacting with others and, 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 and this whole process of going through this and being tested and that it was good. And, and, and because of that, it's made me stronger in some ways and it's made me understand sometimes circumstances happen. That I, I was not quite ready but also the systems in place in that particular district in the Evangelical Free Church were, had collapsed. <laughs> Our district superintendent had resigned. He was not around. The, uh, the person who was in charge of the board of ministerial standings, he had resigned from his church. He wasn't around. There was no one who knew how to do this. And when I got a firmly, letter, firmly worded letter from the, the national office saying, you must get this done as soon as possible, there was no one to go to, so I set it up by myself, and it was just—it was this colossal thing on, on one side, as well as my own failures. And the district superintendent Ted said to me, "Well, Rick, I have never seen anything like that in my life." Uh, he was the interim superintendent, and he's just kind of filling in, and 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 he said, "I don't know why God allowed you to go through that, but there's something." And over time, I've seen that. And, and then I can look at that and say, God taught me through this and, and revealed things to me about myself and my heart and my training and my motivations that have been helpful for me. And trials can do that. They can help focus us. And sometimes when we're going through trials and difficulties, we, we're screaming, Lord, what is going on? Why is this happening? And the churches in this area were enduring those kind of things. They were being persecuted because of Jesus, which makes you wonder, why am I saying I want to follow Jesus? And really test your mettle. What is actually faith to you? To endure it and to walk through this. And how do we do that? Because of the living hope that on the other side of this, no matter what the difficulties are, the things that we're going through, this living hope makes a difference to us and to our lives and to the ways that we live and respond to what we're going through. Verse 9, he says, For you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's what this is about. And he goes into this little uh, aside.
on, on the salvation of your souls and, and its connection to how the, the prophets of old who, who were writing about these things were wondering how, how and when is this all going to happen? We're writing these prophecies about the Christ who is to come, about the Messiah, about the Lamb of God and, and all these things. And when is this going to happen? And, and they longed to look into it with inquiring eyes and, and wanting to find out, God, when and how are you going to do this? And uh, we see in the Old Testament, we see God's picture of what was going to happen, and yet the writers didn't know exactly when it was going to happen. But it's what we focus on. It is the, the suffering servant in Isaiah. It is the, the scepter to whom it will come in Genesis 49. It is the new covenant in Jeremiah. It is Joshua the high priest in Zechariah. It's the culmination and the completion of the practices of that sacrificial system throughout the Old Testament in the Torah. The Redeemer, the scapegoat, and the Old Testament prophets longed, how does this work out? And as Paul, or as Peter writes to these churches, you've seen this come about. You know how that happens because of Jesus and his death and his resurrection. And in verse 11, he says, inquiring about the person or time that the Spirit of Christ within them indicated when it, it testified in advance to the sufferings destined for the Christ and the subsequent glory, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in regard to the things that have now been announced to you through those who brought you the good news. Even angels long to look to such things. That's this message. And that's this hope that we cling on and gives us endurance to walk through. Uh, last summer, uh, Dana and Brian and Phipps were able to be here and, and spend some time with us and talk about the ministry in Turkey, which is exactly the same area that Peter is writing to to this. And, and uh, his letters, if you don't get them on email, uh, uh, they're, they're just they're fantastic. They all start off with good news, with an exclamation point. And he begins to talk about the things that they're doing. Well, back at the end of August, he, he sent a letter and uh, he wrote this. Dear friends, among all of our Turkish friends who have come to faith in Christ over the years, only one person ever identified himself as a devout Muslim when we initially met. That's why Halil's story is rather unique. Halil comes from a religious background and he has struggled to find true answers uh, to Islam's classic criticisms of Christianity. Nevertheless, God has done a, a work of grace, and Halil is now claiming faith in our crucified and resurrected Savior. Over the Islamic sacrifice holiday, Halil shared with his cousins the true story of Abraham's testing and how it points to Jesus. Word made it back to Halil's father, who confiscated Halil's Bible and adamantly threatened to throw him out of the house. Things would be easier for Halil if he was going to college this summer or this fall, but he has to wait an extra year. Would you please pray for Halil? And uh, he also asked some people to send messages by, via email to him, and, and several did. And, and so three days later, on August 30th, he wrote, Dear friends, thank you for the love that you showed Halil. Halil received over 50 emails and one video. Better yet, God answered your prayers. Halil's father inexplicably returned Halil's Bible and backed down from his threats. He told Halil that he was old enough to make his own choices. He only requested that Halil not talk about the Bible with his younger siblings. Wow. 
And he goes on, we hesitate to use the word miracle, but we are all quite shocked by the quick change of heart. Thank you for praying, and please continue to pray for Halil's growth in Christ. There are those who face, quite evidentially, persecution because of confession of Jesus. We will face that, possibly, in our lives. But what we have is is hope. And it's not hope that maybe things will change in the dramatic way that they did with Halil's father. But the hope is this living hope of God's spirit working in, in us, of us having been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus and being known by the foreknowledge of God the Father himself, that he knows us and knows where we're at. And that if we identify ourselves as walking as exiles in this world, nevertheless, we have hope because of our connection to God the Father. That's what we can lean on. We have an inheritance that is imperishable, unfailing, and undefiled. It is complete and lasting. And that's how we walk through this world. We will look in another details about how he's going to direct us in walking this fine line of living in this world and walking faithfully with Christ. Because it's not easy. But it's important. And at the outset, it's, it starts based upon this hope. Let's stand for closing prayer. Father, this morning we, uh, we come before you. We thank you for this letter that you have uh, given to us through Peter and the encouragement to walk faithfully with you, to know you and to recognize who we are before you and the amazing work you've done on our behalf, that you've given us this new birth to a living hope and into inheritance. Lord, help us to remember that when we face our, our own difficulties, our own struggles, when someone looks down on our faith or because we are afforded less opportunities because of that, because we're rejected maybe or shunned. Father, our hope is in you and what you've done and what you've promised to do. And that is what we look forward to, recognizing you've planned this all along. We come before you through Christ our Lord. God bless you this day. Well, thanks again for listening. And to learn more about how you can connect with Bethel Community Church, check out our website at islandbethelchurch.com or join us for a service Saturday night at 6 or Sunday morning at 1045. Hope to see you soon. God bless you.